everyone, and welcome to this episode of Cargo Facts Connect, the podcast series of Cargo Facts, the newsletter of record of the air, cargo, and freighter aircraft industries for over 40 years. I'm Charles Kaufman, Senior Editor of Cargo Facts, and I'm joined today by Cargo Facts Associate Editor Jeff Lee. This special Cargo Facts Symposium edition of Cargo Facts Connect features a fireside chat with Rich Carrado, President and CEO of Air Transport Services Group. The session is moderated by Frederick Horst, Managing Director of Cargofax Consulting. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Cargofax subscribers and our sponsors, AEI, Airborne Global Solutions, C-Cubed Aerospace, IAI, Vodigy Industries, Rostrum Leasing, and U.S. Cargo Systems. Remember, if you're not already subscribed, we invite you to start your free trial today at cargofax.com. Jeff, Cargofax Symposium was presented just a week ago it's hard to believe. What are some of the key points Rich touches on during the fireside chat? Yes, it was, it was an insightful discussion, and Rich um, mentioned the strength of the 767 market, of course, with ATSG being such a large operator of 767s. Um, he also talked about the resilience of the dry lease and the CMI model that they use, um, talked about growth prospects, outside the US, e-commerce and pandemic-related flying, um, and of course the A321 freighter, um, which they are involved in, um, in a joint venture with Precision Aircraft Solutions. So as, as a major figure in the industry, it's uh, no surprise that he covered so much ground in, in a short time. I've already heard it once, but you've, you've sold me again. Let's have a listen. All right. Hello, everyone. Um, please join me in, in welcoming Rich Carrado to this fireside chat session. So Rich Carrado has been president and chief executive officer of, um, as you probably know, of ATSG since May 2020, where he's responsible for the, for the goal setting and overall uh, oversight of all of ATSG's um, diverse business interests. Carrado joined ATSG as a chief commercial officer in April 2020 and was elected chief operating officer in in September 2017, but has uh, been around in the in the air cargo and express industry for for quite some time. He's uh, got a degree in economics from Harvard and an MBA from from Boston College. Um, Rich, welcome. Nice to have you here today again. Well, it's great to be here, Frederick. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to all the folks today. And I'd I'd like to uh, first say um, congratulations to everybody that's in air cargo right now, because although although uh, what we do has been in significant demand uh, throughout this pandemic. It has been a challenge. It has been a challenge to maneuver the environment and to, to get things done. And air cargo has been, has been in the spotlight, which is great. And uh, I think it tested everybody's metal and, and folks have stepped up. And, and I think it's great for air cargo uh, that we met these challenges. And, and uh, certainly we have, we have more in front of us, but uh, I just want to congratulate everybody watching today. So Rich, ATSG has got a, um, a fairly unique business model. I mean, you go at pains to explain that you're actually a leasing company, not an airline, even though you know, the bulk of your revenue still come from the, uh, from the airline business. Um, what do you think is the strength of this model where, you, where you're combining a leasing business with an ACMI business, with um, a services business that includes maintenance, that includes conversions, that includes um, hub operation? 
So there's really, uh, you know, when I, the way I think about it, there's really three strengths um, to what we do. Um, you know, we've got, we've got the leasing company. We have 106 aircraft we'll have in service by the end of the year. 86 of those are freighters. Um, we look to lease the aircraft first, uh, and then we look at CMI services as a supplemental service. Um, we have uh, two full-service MROs. We can do conversions, uh, heavy maintenance, line maintenance. Our leasing company also offers um, power by the cycle service, which is a, a really nice uh, add-on that that uh, that uh, de-risks uh, getting into the airframe. And then we have a logistics group that that does a lot of different things, everything from uh, managing solar operations to GSE to MHE. We do de-ice. Uh, uh, we run uh, source centers for the postal service and gateways for Amazon. So we look to put these things together to, to provide solutions to folks that want to get into the 767 freighter. So first, the, the, obviously the thing is differentiation, the first strength. Um, we're significantly differentiated from any other leasing company in the business uh, where you can provide these types of services to folks. Why would you lease an Air uh, 767 freighter anywhere else? We do have over two thirds market share in the 767 leasing business, we're the world's largest dry lessor of, uh, of freighter aircraft overall. Um, the, uh, the second uh, strength is, is that these, these uh, incremental services provide um, incremental returns on top of the base lease. So we invest all of our capital or most of our capital in airplanes and conversions, uh, and we get a, a return on that based on the lease. But then when we can fly the aircraft and we can provide maintenance services for the aircraft or engine leasing, uh, those things provide incremental returns. So we, we enhance the profitability of the company. And probably the, the, the most significant thing is the resilience of our business model. If you look at the segments that we do service, the leasing, um, whether the market um, you know, it has a downturn or not, the lessee has to pay for the lease of the aircraft despite you know, how they may be utilizing it. When you look at the flying that we do, the CMI flying, most of it, if not all of it, is for um, is for express networks and e-commerce providers, and so those are much more insulated uh, from the uh, from the general uh, downturn in an economic cycle because they have time definite and day definite service requirements that are hard to back off from. So they need to service those markets. And the last thing, about a third of our revenue comes from flying for the government in the U.S. military. So when you look at those three segments, they're about 90 to 95 percent of our EBITDA. Uh, and despite, you know, if you have an economic downturn, um, you know, those things are going to hold up a lot longer. Great example is 2019. If you look at 2019, air cargo was significantly challenged um, uh, given the, uh, the, uh, uh, the trade disruption and, and, uh, and, and um, different yeah, things that well, were going well, on. Well, well, why the market was down about three, four percent in, right. in, in FTK terms. So. Right. It was a significant um, downturn uh, globally, but we had a record year. We had a record year in leasing, uh, flying, our, our, our business grew, and, and uh, we had a record year. So just just goes to show the, the strength and the resilience of the business model. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the government side is a bit hard for, for others to replicate. I mean, you do have, I mean, I mean, to an extent, you're similar to what Atlas does, although the aircraft focus is, is different. You've obviously got... Um, You've got um, um, Avia Solutions Group um, in in Europe that that is a massive, so I guess, a collection of different airlines, charter brokerage business, ground services, um, and and so on. But doesn't seem to have the same same leasing full service model focus that you have. But do you think that this particular model is is something that leasing companies over I mean you came to it as an airline first and then turned into a leasing company but do you think it's something that that leasing companies should be looking into 
to get into more if, if they want a sustained source of competitive advantage? I mean, obviously, um, I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to advocate for that, but um, you're right. We we developed this business model around necessity when when DHL in back in 20, 2009 decided to get out of the domestic business. Um, we we were saddled with you know 10,000 not saddled with but we had 10,000 employees. We had an airline with over 100 aircraft. We had a, a large maintenance space with over 1,200 maintenance technicians. And we had a, a huge air park services group that became our logistics group. And our goal at that point in time was to keep as many people employed as we can. And so we created these businesses. We created the MRO. We already had a very small leasing business. We probably leased about four or five airplanes at that time. Um, and, and then um, the logistics group was formed out of our air park services group. So we, we everybody hung a shingle and, and we started trying to, um, everybody tried to grow in their own and also with a combination of the solutions. Uh, the great thing is the model really took hold and it and has provided a lot of value and it's provided a lot of returns for our shareholders. But I don't think leasing companies are going to have the, you know, most leasing companies are financial institutions and they look for return on capital. Um, we, our roots is as an airline um, and, you know, a maintenance provider. When you're in the maintenance side of the business or the logistics side of the business, that's, that's basically asset light selling labor. And I just don't think most leasing companies are built to be able to, to look at those types of things and, and, uh, and try to get a return on them. Um, one, one of the questions, I've got a few questions that are, that are coming in as well, and I'll throw a few of those um, in, into our conversation. One question was, you know, how do you, I mean, you, you might say there isn't, but, um, you know, how do you resolve the inherent conflict for example, with a prospective conversion customer or, or with your customers overall, given that you're a major operator and a, and a lesser at the same time. I mean, how do you, how do you balance, how do you balance that? Yeah. I mean, a great example of how, you know, look, we look to le dry lease the aircraft. That's what we want to do with the asset. If you're going to invest in, in a 20 year asset, getting a one year ACMI contract really doesn't do anything for you. If you get a seven to 10 year lease, uh, and you can project another lease after that, is, and that's how you want the return. So we don't look at CMI flying or ACMI flying, if you will, as something that we're out there trying to sell on its own necessarily. Although we, you know, we put up two ACMI routes for DHL due to the pandemic that are flying in international routes. We'll do those things. Most of the ACMI flying we do is in our wet to what we call our wet to dry program. We've run the wet to dry program for Amerijet. We've done it for Northern Air Cargo. We've done it for Raya in Malaysia. And, and essentially what we've done is we fly for them first and then they, uh, they can value the economics of the aircraft. They can see if that's something that they want to get into themselves. And then we facilitate helping them get into the aircraft. So I don't see a lot of, we don't compete with a lot of our lessees. Um, we actually you know, facilitate them to grow their business. Um, on, the, on the topic of growth, I mean, we've seen, we've seen recently that that you've started placing more aircraft outside North America, particularly with Astral in in um, in in Kenya and um, and and Masair also in in Mexico. Um, is that where where you see the future growth opportunities for your business outside North America, or is it a bit of bit of both? Well, the great thing about an airplane is you can market and sell it anywhere, right? So we're looking to, and we've always had this marketing plan that we're, we're looking to market the 767 and, and in the future, the A3-2021 into markets where regional jets will prevail. And those are markets um, that, um, you know, you're looking at a, a, a three hour thereabouts cycle leg 
Um, you're looking at an express network, um, those types of things. In Asia, you've got a lot of countries that are um, surrounded or, or approximate to water. And so you've got to fly to get um, to, to some um, fairly large economies. Um, so th that, that's an area we try to get in. If you recall, we had a, a joint venture going on in China for a while. So we've always tried to market in those areas where we think that, that the, the, the aircraft fits. Obviously, the United States is one of those markets because of the, the geography and because of the density of business units. Um, Canada, um, and then, of course, you know, the NAFTA group into, into, uh, into the USA. But, you know, we're looking where, where anywhere in the world uh, where the aircraft fits. Are there any, are there any, in as much as you can disclose that, are there any, you know, other business areas that you're, that you're not in at the moment that you're looking into? I mean, for example, providing airline operations outside, um, outside North America, is that something that you would consider doing or, or not really because ultimately your core business is being a leasing company? Yeah, I mean, usually we, we've done that um, in the past, to, again, to facilitate the leasing business. Um, and usually when you're operating outside of the United States, you've got, you know, you've got traffic rights issues and you've got um, uh, cabotage rules that you have to be, um, you know, you have to account for. So it's a little more difficult. We've done it, um, certainly, um, it's a, but it's a little more difficult. Usually what we'll try to do, um, as, we've, as we've done with, you know, with Masier and with Raya, I mean, Raya, Masier is flying uh, for DHL and, uh, and, uh, and Raya is flying for DHL, as an example. Uh, we'll look to facilitate. I mean, we flew the Raya DHL route for a year uh, in a 767 before Raya took a 767. So we'll do that type of flying um, in, overseas. But again, looking to lease the asset because that's the core business and the core return, return and the smart way to deal with a with a 20 year asset. Mm. But I mean, you know, you said obviously the, the focus is the 767. We'll, we'll talk about the 767 in a in a in a in a sec. It would be mean if we didn't talk about the 767, wouldn't it? But um, uh, let, let's talk about the A321 for a minute. I mean, you know, you're saying that the focus is obviously soon. Do you have the um, the STC approved for the for the precision 321 conversion, then then there'll be more focus on marketing that aircraft. Given the um, the, the operating markets for that aircraft, and given that Europe is a prime operating market for that, I mean, would you would you look at getting into airline operations in, in Europe to actually support that, or or is is that something that is just not going to be necessary because there's enough operators in in the market that can pick up yeah. the aircraft and, and fly them. For or four customers that you have. Yeah, again, operating in Europe, um, intra-Europe for us is difficult because of the because of, because of the uh, regulatory and cabotage and traffic rights situation. Um, you can do it with a hub exemption, as UPS does in um, out of Cologne. So they fly uh, they fly into a hub in Cologne, and then they're able to fly some routes um, as long as they're not stopping twice in a in a, in a country. Um, they can fly those routes. So um, I, we don't have a plan right now to do any of that type of flying. Certainly, we you know we wouldn't. Um, it, depending on the opportunity, it's something we would evaluate. Um, we generally, again, would like you know we'd look to find a partner in the area that would make more sense, would have a lot easier uh, road as far and a lot more flexibility as far as where they could fly in a different region uh, than we would as a U.S.-based carrier. Um, and, and look to partner with them and, and, and lease the aircraft into that market. Um, it's what we originally had with, with the West Atlantic Group in uh, Europe. Um, and they, you know, they got their fleet I don't know, up to six aircraft at one point in time. 
Yeah, it's about what is it? About two now still with with West Atlantic or something like that. Yeah, they've they've, they've got two at this point. Um, let's talk about the seven six seven. Is there is there a life after the seven six seven? Yeah. Well, I hate to borrow a, a or a, the premise of a quote from Mark Twain, but the the um, the rumor of the uh, demise of the seven six seven has been greatly exaggerated. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, probably a little less than 200 feedstock aircraft in the 1991 to 1999 age group uh, that are available, both Pratt powered and uh, GE powered. Now, we, we run the predominantly, we've leased and, um, and, and, uh, and operate a GE fleet. We do have three Pratt powers. They're fine aircraft. They do the mission the same. Um, obviously, you want free uh, fleet, <laughs> free fleet commonality as much as you can get it. Um, and then you've got probably another 150 feedstock aircraft that are younger than that, that will eventually come available. Um, so there's a lot of 767s left. They're still building the factory freighter. GE's still building the engine. So this this aircraft is gonna be around for a really long time. That said, I mean, you know- Pratt's still building the engine obviously too for the, for the tankers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's gonna be around for quite a while uh, given all the feedstock that's available. You know, and you look at the pandemic and what that's doing, to, you know, to potential the way um, airlines are looking at, at their fleets. I would not be uh, want to be on the passenger side now and making a dish, uh, you know, making the decision about whether I, I fund sea checks for my aging fleet or take deliveries that I've got scheduled or, or potentially, you know, rights to, um, you know, do I want a newer airplane or do I, do I hang on to the older one? You know, this, it, this, it's really a, a difficult decision depending on where they are and how much they owe on the aircraft means all those types of things that you uh you know what you think is going to come out of the pandemic what you think you're going to look like when you grow up um all those things are, are difficult decisions to predict but but long story short the feedstock price should come down as well um eventually we haven't seen a lot of uh, uh, uh aircraft on the market right now the last two buys we made were were, were two aircraft each um you know we're you know we normally like to buy a nice run of airplanes we bought 20 from american uh, back in 2018, as an example, um, but we we just haven't seen that that density of feedstock or someone releasing their fleet at this point. But I mean, the, the, you know, the the do you do you think it's going to going forward? There will be a lot more of these ones and two twosy type um, uh, buying opportunities rather than than larger scale buying opportunities. I think it'll be a little bit of both. I mean, you've got some large fleets out there. You still have, you know, LATAM, you've got Delta, you've got United, um, ANA. Um, you've got some folks with some large fleets, Air Canada, um, still out there. Um, but then there's a lot of folks with, you know, two or three aircraft. Um, so it just depends on... on uh, there's a lot of companies been circling these large fleets at the moment as well. From, from what uh, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, you know, the feedstock values probably have, well, feedstock values have come down a bit, but feedstock values of the A330s have come down even more. So the, the, the um, decline in values on A330 feedstock has been been much larger than the decline in value on 767 feedstock. Correct me if I'm saying something wrong here, but that does bring the, the two of them closer in terms of an overall on-ramp cost potentially. Sure, it does. And I think the A330-300, not the 200 necessarily, I think the A330-300 is gonna be a pretty good aircraft. It's it's a it you know right now there's a few of them out there as you know um, and they they're being used differently they're not being used as a as a uh, as a network freighter so much as they are being used for um, you know general air cargo or air cargo used to, to on longer haul routes 
I mean, the A330 has, you know, has really good legs compared to the 767, if you will, and carrying a, a, the same payload. Um, it can fly farther. Um, and it's got a little bit more cube. Um, so when you look at it, it's, it's, it's going to be a great aircraft. The problem is, is you're, you're thinking of the 200 on the longer, on the longer. Right. right. The, um, the, uh, the thing to think about though, is most of your 767, um, if you look at this, the glow, the cycles globally on the 767 freighter is probably about three hours or less. So you don't really don't, you don't really need that range. Um, and then most of your large users of network flying aircraft are already flying the 767. And so, you know, they'll be looking to augment those fleets with 767s, not swapping over to the A330 until they need to, um, until you're out of 767s. Um, folks that are, that are already flying an Airbus, if, 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 you, if you've already got an Airbus fleet on the passenger side and you're looking to get into the freight business, then certainly it would make sense for the A330 at that point in time. But breaking which, into which all of the express carriers except SF Express do. So yeah, A three hundred, six hundreds. I think mm -hmm. most of them fly. Um, so you know, I, I just think it's it's going to take a little bit more time. I think the price has to come down, which it has on the feedstock side. Um, but you know, that's, then it's just the user. You know, the, the the folks that need those aircraft can still get a seven six seven. Yeah, our, our, our thinking was sort of that the inflection point would be around 2024 um, or around that time for when, when the A330 starts to gather a lot of steam just because of the way the feedstock situation, the relative, relative feedstock situation has, has developed. I mean, do you think the pandemic may have brought some of that forward? Uh, it pro um, for the A330, it has. Uh, the 767 hasn't really come down at all that mm -hmm. we've seen. We, we, you know, we, like I said, we, we just, looked at um, two different buys and um, the pricing was still hanging up there. And if you look at some of the analysts and some of the, the folks who do, um, you know, estimating on, on uh, aircraft, I mean, they're, they're projecting in some cases that the 767 freighter, uh, 767 passenger jet is actually the feedstock price is going up because of the demand on the freighter side is, is significant. Now it's gonna, if one large fleet drops, you're gonna see that change fairly quickly. Um, but I do think that the A330 has come closer quicker because of the pandemic. Um, do you, I mean, let's sort of switch focus a little bit, but, but still obviously everything related to the pandemic at the moment. Um, do you see growth in, in demand accelerating for medium wide bodies as well as narrow bodies as a consequence of the pandemic, or are we just seeing a a normal growth trajectory that we would have seen anyway? Uh, well, it's a good question. You know, um, if you looked at the statistics about how the how the e-commerce was, was gonna be growing on a global basis, it was projected to be significantly growing anyways. Um, there was a study though that uh, IBM Retail Index put out in August, uh, you know, basically measuring the impact of the pandemic and their assessment was is that it, it has dragged uh, the demand for e-commerce five years forward. Mm. Um, and if you look at the numbers that are popping out, if you look at UPS's growth numbers, you know, Amazon's Prime Day was up 45% over last year as a good uh, barometer. So the, the uh, you know, the pandemic is growing. I mean, the pandemic has caused e-commerce to, to grow a little bit quicker, but it was, it was already growing. We came into this year and we projected that we would place eight to 10 newly converted um, 767 freighters. Uh, we're going to place 12 
Mm. Um, and we're going to uh, release another three. So we're going to place 15. We've already got 15 um, on the books for next year. We're, we've got 11 that we've already signed with Amazon. We've got another four that we're finalizing right now. And, and we may be able to deliver a few more than that, depending on, on um, our ability to find feedstock and we have the slots. But anyway, so the point being is, is that's an acceleration. That's people, and the good thing about our business model is you're taking these aircraft for long-term leases. They're not just taking them because they need an, a, you know, an ACMI route or they need an aircraft for a short term because of the pandemic. So the folks that we're dealing with and, and, our, and our demand order book, if you will, is larger than that. Um, we've got folks on several continents looking for 767s that they want delivered uh, all the way out to 2024. So um, they're, they're banking on the fact that the, that the, the e-commerce trend, although the pandemic has accelerated it, um, is going to be here to stay. You know, one of, the, one of the other things that study showed is that the fastest growing products um, in e-com were, were alcohol, um, home improvement no items. Surprise there. <laughs> no, there's no surprise there at all. Uh, <laughs> home improvement items and groceries. Well, those are three things that really it's, that those are the fastest growing ones. And you think about it, those are simply, those are pandemic related heavily, right? Lord knows we all need to drink because of the pandemic. And then groceries are something folks don't want to go to the grocery store, so they'll order online. Um, another study kicked out the fact that, you know, 60% of the new adopters to e-commerce, so someone who never used e-commerce before and they started, maybe someone taught their parent how to order groceries online or whatever, are going to continue to use e-commerce. So you've got this whole group of folks that might have never been online shoppers. They've been introduced to it because of the pandemic, and they're going to continue to online shop going forward. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, if we look at, take UPS, for example, I mean, no, normally of all of the integrators, UPS has a bar, with the exception of SF Express, actually, but if we're looking at North America, UPS generally generates, including the ground product, about 50% of their shipments in business to consumer. They said in the um, in the second quarter that it was it was 69% um, of, their, of their shipments were business to consumer. Of course, they had a, a huge increase on, on, on B2C and they had a 20% drop on, on, on B2D, B2B. So there's various effects there. DHL that, that usually has about 30% of its TDI volumes um, as business to consumer were saying they're up to about 45%. So there's definitely been a, been a shift in the market. I guess the question is, yeah, is it going to stay at 49, uh, 45 or 69 percent or is it going to fall back down to some some more reasonable level perhaps a little bit higher than it was before yeah, I, I i don't think it's going to fall back um nominally i think it's the growth is slow for sure i think you know like i said if you look at those the, the higher growth products or things that that uh, that that there's there's you know easy substitutes to you know as long as you feel safe right um, and so folks are going to go out and shop and go to the grocery store and want to, you know, touch the fruit and all that other stuff, right? Um, so uh, I think some of the growth will, will dial back, but it's still going to be a, a high growth. I mean, look, the retail outlets, if you looked at the two years before, um, before the pandemic, you know, 2018 and 2019, I mean, re retail uh, brick and mortar stores were down 8,000 and 10,000 um, closures you know, related because the e-commerce business had taken that away. Now that's obviously going to accelerate. You're going to see a lot more retail brick and mortar closing and et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's why a lot of that e-commerce will stay and continue to grow, but not, I don't think at the level that it's at now, it'll probably take a, a flatness and then, then pick up growth again. Yeah. I mean, if there are no retail shops to go back to, then um, yeah, and obviously that growth isn't going to go back to the, to the retail.
retail side. I mean, a lot of, I guess a lot of the com commodities that you're talking about, like the groceries or, or, or even the booze, probably a lot of that doesn't even affect their cargo networks. It's more of right. the consumer good type stuff that's going to affect that because the grocery is more same, same day type stuff. But we are, I mean, at least with, so far, if we're looking at dedicated type air operations, I mean, it's still all about, still all about Amazon, right? I mean, there's, there's more and more in the US um, by the end of, by the end of next year, they'll, they'll have something like 81, 85 aircraft under their, under their control. Most of them leased from you, actually. Um, probably the majority leased from you. We're seeing much more operations in, in the US by our count. Um, um, shipment um, tonnage was, was up uh, by about almost 50% this year. In Europe, they've just started operating their first 737-800s. Um, so it's interesting to see what's happening there, but but so far it's really been confined to them. I mean, we see Alibaba doing more charters than they were doing last year, but yeah, the, the question is, in, in your mind, um, are we going to see some of these other e-commerce platforms start Amazon-style dedicated operations, or is it just going to stay Amazon? Well, let me, uh, let me address the um Amazon question first from an ATSG perspective, and that is that if you look at our if you look at our business, um, so by the end of this year we'll have um, leased 31 aircraft in Amazon. Um, we will have leased uh, over the same period of time from 2016 to now. We will have leased 36 aircraft to, to other customers, um, and that's anywhere from DHL to UPS um, to Amerijet, Northern Air Cargo, you know, Rial, Malaysia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when you look at that, yeah, yeah, Amazon's you know kind of an outlier as far as growth goes, but the rest of the, the rest of the business is growing. That's that's about you know seven or eight aircraft a year to other folks, right? So to us, that says that the market is healthy. That the the, the uh, in terms of um, e-commerce, et cetera, et cetera. Now back to your question, which is, is, is there anybody else out there like an Amazon? I mean, Amazon, I think I think their e-commerce business is eight to ten times bigger than Walmart in the U.S., who's the number two. Um, and I, and you know we've we've had some conversations with Walmart, but I, don't, I just don't think there's a, there's enough um, scale there um, to, um, to 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 do what Amazon is doing. Now, all that said, there are some retailers and some other um, uh, 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 you know non aviation entities around the globe um, that are looking for dedicated, you know, long term lift and network style fulfillment. But you're talking about two to four aircraft, something along those lines. Not the closest thing you'll probably find is the Chiano network in China, where you know it's a it's, it's a separate entity than Alibaba, but it's facilitated by Alibaba's volume. And there's a number of different players in that network, so it's not one retailer saying I'm going to use this dedicated network. Um, but you know, there's a lot of you know, they, you know I, we we're, we still believe there's a lot. There's going to be a lot of opportunity to express type, you know, network providing freighters in China going forward. That's good. That, uh, thank you for providing that because it's good context as well. You know, we're, every, everybody is talking e-commerce, e-commerce and Amazon all the time, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of growth that's happening outside that as, that as well. And even if we're looking at the, at, at the growth rate um, of, of different e-commerce platforms, not just, you know, Alibaba, JD and Amazon, the big three, but some of the sort of the mid-size and, and regional platforms, there's been some significant growth there mm -hmm. as well, and with that comes potentially the requirement. And, and we've got the we've got the vaccine in front of us, which you know, Air Cargo is going to play a heavy role in facilitating the you know the mobility and the um, 
you know, in the deployment of how that's going to flow throughout the globe. So it's that's going to yeah, be a significant challenge. The, the vaccine, that's the, that's the billion dollar question, isn't it? But, um, how much air freight that's actually going to generate? You know, where is it going to come from? Where is it going to go? Over what period is it going to be? Um, and, um, you know, there, there's been sort of wildly differing estimates of, of the number of freight flights that would, that would right. be anywhere from, you know, a few thousand to, to 18, 19,000. So I think the 18, 19,000 is a bit off the scale. So I think there will be some, some demand for that as well. And that benefits companies like yourself and, and everybody who essentially has capacity. So. Sure. It's going to, it's going to, the, 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 you know, the large aircraft haulers are going to, you know, they're going to be going intercontinental and you're going to need, need to move it in country as well. So it's yeah. going to be a full, full challenge. Yeah. Um, why have you shown very little interest, if any interest at all in um, wide body, large wide body freighters so far? Yeah. Well, I, the first, the first, reason for that is, is if you look at you know, what I talked about, our um, resilient business model, you know, I, we talked about network flying. I mean, if you look at network flying, for example, in the US, you know, whether there's, a, there's an economic downturn, you know, DHL or UPS or FedEx has to go to Billings, Bo Boise, Butte and Buffalo, whether the plane's half full or three quarters full or whatever. So they're not, it's not, it's not going to be a significant freight impact. But when you have a, a downturn and you're, you're flying large 747s or, or 777s and there's an economic you know, or a global trade dispute or an economic downturn, you know, what was five days a week may go down to two or three days a week or the lane may change or it may hop through some different places. And you're, you're much more um, uh, open to volatility in the market. So we've never liked having to spend a lot of money on a big freighter uh, and have, have it exposed to that type of volatility. Now that that said, never say never. One of the reasons that we uh, purchased Omni, uh, Omni Air is a passenger carrier, but they do fly seven six sevens and triple sevens. And our, our thought process on that was, look, let's let's you know get Omni into the fold. They've been a fantastic acquisition, fantastic company for us. Um, and then um, you know we've we've bid on some CMI opportunities as an example. So you know leasing in somebody else's airplane and flying that. Uh, and, and going forward, we'll continue to look at the market and look for those opportunities where, again, we can, if we can get a long-term opportunity, then, then that's what best fits with, with what we do. Talking of acquisition opportunities, do you think there's going to be more acquisition opportunities coming up in the market now over the next um, 12 to 18 months? Well, it's interesting because if you, you know, we, 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 um, we're involved in so many different segments. So we look at the MRO segment as an example, and we look at things that are going on there leasing, uh, airline operations. And one thing I can tell you is um, if it's not cargo, um, there's a significant amount of risk in anything that you, that you look at. And that includes the MRO uh, business. Um, we, we uh, if you look at our MRO business, when the pandemic hit, about three weeks after all these shutdowns occurred, you know, most of our passenger customers just stopped and pulled their aircraft down. And we had to, you know, we had holes in our hangars. We had to fill. Luckily, we have our own fleet, so we we were able to, you know, keep our our uh, MROs utilized and our employees um, working. So um, it, it it just is. There's just a lot of risk right now in the market. If you're looking at at uh, at M and A and on anything that's uh, that's re that's related to ancillary services, um, on the cargo side, really can't comment on that. We're a public company, um, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, certainly, it's a it's a safer bet um, these days. 
Yeah. And you've got your results announcement in a few days as well. So you've got to be careful what you say today. Yeah, I, I, I can think about what I've already said. <laughs> well, we've got a 20, 20 second delay on the live, so you better, better be quick. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, okay, I think we're about we're we're almost out of time actually. So um, just gonna have a look if we've got any 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 other questions that were that were coming. Yeah, there was one there was one question perhaps you know we, we talked about big planes, but what about what about really little ones? I mean, is the feeder market one that 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 you have you know potential interest in as well? Is that an area where you see that there's development potential or no? Because we're just competing against trucks. Well, you know, we what we look to do when we look at you know, M&A acquisitions like we did with Omni or, or we bought Pemco back in 2017 as an example, uh, we look for opportunities to diversify our revenue um, so that we can you know, spread the revenue out among different customers and it needs to fit with our return hurdles, you know, what we expect for return on that investment. And so when you look at if you if when you look at opportunities like feeder airlines, if they fit into that profile, then it's something we would be interested in looking at. Um, the other thing is it, it does synergize well with our customer base, um, but then again, we're not diversifying our revenue because we're, you know, we might be getting more revenue from UPS, as an example, if, if the feeder market flies for, for UPS. Generally speaking, um, in looking at you know, those types of uh, operations, a lot of them, not a lot of them, but I know some of them get their aircraft from the uh, company that they fly for. For example, FedEx uh, might lease some of the smaller aircraft into some of these feeder groups. So it doesn't really fit with what we do, which is you know, look to spend money on the metal and, and, uh, and lease over time. And that's all for this episode. To those of you listening, thank you for joining us on this episode of Cargo Facts Connect. For those of you unable to attend Cargo Facts Symposium this year, expansive coverage is available on our website at cargofacts.com. And in the coming days, we'll be posting complete session recordings that are accessible to CargoFax subscribers. 